Are you looking for all things Harry Potter-ish? Fly on down here to the Harry Potter barn. We have rare items like Huffle Corn Puff cereal. We have Victor Crumb Cakes and Confundo Vodka. We also have practical items like the Lumos Flashlight, the Slesleyo Duct Tape, the Flickwick Candles, and the Phineas Blackboard. We have his and Hermione's. We also have her and Hermione's. And my favorite, the Tar Marvolo Book of Riddles, the only joke book where the punchlines cannot be named. You can even find VHS copies of the long-lost episodes of I Dream of Norgini. What's that? A one-of-a-kind Harry Potter? A golf putter made from the real hairs of Danny Boy Radcliffe? Do me a favor. The Harry Potter Barn. Because of copyrights, you can find us at Platform 9 and 7 Ace. Thank you for listening. And now back to the program. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Above Average Joe Show. I am super excited about this episode for, like, several reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is, is this is the second-to-last episode for this season, so we're coming to a close on season one. But even more exciting is our guest today, who has worked on a lot of projects which you've probably heard, such as Sharknado 3, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, Avengers Endgame, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Survivor's Remorse, as a stilt walker in Survivor's Remorse. Also worked on a video game for NBA 2015, Bad Boys for Life, Godzilla King of Monsters, the short Better Uses for the Infinity Gauntlet. Father Figures, Allegiant, Blackish, and is also the host of the upcoming Queer Across America and the show Beautiful and Bizarre. Our special guest today is Ellie Logue. Ellie, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you. We haven't talked in quite a while. <laughs> I know. We've both been so super busy, especially you. You've been super busy. I have. I have. Life has changed a lot now that I'm finally part of the Screen Actors Guild, so opportunities have increased, and it's kept me super busy, but I couldn't be more grateful. Yay! It's always good to be busy, because that means more money and more time to do the things that you want to do, not the things you have to do. Exactly. I finally figured out how to make my playtime my work, and now I am a happy person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into things, because we've only got about 20, 25 minutes to talk. Uh, let's talk about Avengers Endgame, because that just recent, well, I say recently came out. It's probably like two years ago now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But Avengers Endgame, you worked on that. What did you do on Avengers Endgame? I was the stand-in and photo double for Zoe Saldana as Gamora, which was a role I took back up from being with her for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I was originally also supposed to be in for her for Infinity Wars, but that is when I was on Ant-Man and the Wasp, so I couldn't do both at the same time. But uh, crossover schedules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so with, with a stand-in, a couple of questions for stand-ins, because I'm not always on set and don't always get to see these things, 
As far as standing in, are there points where they don't let you stand in when there's green screen? If she's like up on a ledge or something, or if it seems like dangerous, or when they have the stunt person come in, are you still standing in for the stunt person and jumping around and... Well, Guardians was really different, apparently not just for me, but also for people that typically work in the film industry. Um, I was given the opportunity to do a lot of things for Zoe that are not typically done by a stand-in, where normally I was used to being able to, you know, pretty much just stand there. The term <laughs> stand-in is very literal. You just stand on a mark, they check lighting, camera angles, etc. It might be different when you're a stand-in for an action hero because you don't really stand. You run, you climb, you you do a lot of different things because most of their time on camera is action-filled. So you have to move with the camera with the lighting they have to check every component so i did i hung off of boulders i laid crashed and crumpled inside of a shipwreck i did a lot of i did a lot of running i did a lot of running for her i did the majority of her running passes because they weren't so advanced that they needed her primary stunt double to do them but they needed the camera to move with her so basically from the day we started i did all of her running Oh, wow. Um, which was apparently strange because my direct PA, who had already done 163 movies at that time, had said he had never seen them use a stand-in to that capacity. But, you know, to their credit, they did know that I had an extremely athletic background. I was working towards stunts, and I was happy to do anything and everything they asked me to. So Yeah, I was going to say, I know that you work out a lot, so for you, that probably wasn't as difficult. It was fun. It was fun. I thought it was great. Like I would much rather run around than just stand. So I, I had a blast with it. And because they were, we look so similar. That is when I then shifted to her photo double and got to do a lot of her on camera work and sometimes off camera where if she was still in the trailer, getting makeup done or had to have touch-ups, I was the person that Chris Pratt or Dave Bautista were delivering lines to, and then I was responding with her lines. I was just off camera, so you didn't know that it was actually me that was there, which is super rare. So it was the most amazing experience I've ever had in my life. Completely changed me as a person, got me focused, helped me determine my direction, and I just I could not be more grateful for the opportunities that have opened up as a result of doing those films. So out of curiosity, if you're allowed to say, what are like some of the scenes where they basically had to edit you out, um, where you were delivering the lines with Chris? What scenes would you have been heard in if they hadn't cut out your audio? <laughs> <laughs> um, I did more of that on Guardians 2, but when you first meet Aisha and the Sovereign and they bring out Nebula and force her to the ground and all of the guardians are standing there and they cut to each individual and they're talking. I was actually there to receive Nebula in that scene. Also, nice. um, when we are trying to escape Ego's planet and we're getting on the ship and we've now all climbed back into the ship and Batista and Pratt are talking to Zoe. I'm actually the one they're talking to in those scenes. And then, I did her running passes yelling when Nebula is flying in the spaceship and trying to shoot her and she's running and jumps off the cliff. 
I did all of that running. And then I also, there was more, I, I'm trying to remember now at this point, but um, <laughs> parts where you actually see me, but you think it's her is in the funeral scene with Yondu when Chris Pratt is delivering his eulogy. And then you see, I believe it's Mantis's hands and Gamora's hands putting down the little trinkets and yeah. toys that Yondu loved. Um, that's my hand. Aww. And then when you see her arm and her hand go on Chris Pratt's shoulder while he's speaking and crying in that scene, that's actually me because they reshot that. And that was a pivotal, that was my last day. And that was actually a pivotal moment for me because it was just me and Chris on set. And they had in instructed me to really try to get into character with him because he's supposed to be crying. This is a very somber moment. So I basically thought of the most upsetting thing in my life that I could, which was the oh. passing of my mother. And I just sat there and bawled with him. And when they said cut, Chris actually you know, gave me a big hug and was just like, you're amazing. And I was like, you're amazing. <laughs> and we're hugging each other and bawling our eyes out. And that was his last day and also my last day. And Aww. apparently something that, and pardon me while I get choked up, because um, every time I talk about this, I do. Yeah. But they wrapped Chris, as you always do, a lead actor, you wrap, the director does a full wrap out and the whole crew claps and that person departs. Well, after Chris had left, I went to just get my bag and leave. You know, I'm just a standing in a photo double. I'm just going to get my stuff and go. Um, and James Gunn, the director, actually stopped me and started to, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> um, actually officially wrapped me out and the entire crew clapped. Wow. And I bawled my eyes out. <laughs> That's like, freaking so amazing. Yeah, and my, my main PA, um, who had done 163 movies, had said he has, in all of his time, had never seen a stand-in and photo double get wrapped out like that. And it just, to this day, I'm so touched. Yeah, I, I've never even heard of that before. They don't wrap, they don't wrap stunt people, which, I mean, pay scale-wise is way above doing stand-in work and photo doubling. Absolutely, so, it is. Yeah, so he must have loved your performances. Well, especially with that last one. If you're on screen, well, semi-on screen bawling with Chris Pratt, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how, how could you not be doing a good job? I mean, you can't complain about a stand-in that's crying on cue. Oh, that's, that is a wonderful, amazing story, and I'm trying hard. I'm having a hard time not crying either. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm wiping. To it. I'm wiping my eyes. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for the loss of your mother, but I'm happy that you were able to share that story with us. Thank you. She's she's not walking around, but she's with me every day. I know. Oh, yeah, she's watching you. She's seeing all this amazing stuff that you're doing, and she was probably right there with you while you were crying with Chris Pratt, and she's probably like, "Yes." <laughs> and she's why I do this. You know, honestly, on her. I hate to say it, but on her deathbed at hospice, because she passed from cancer, she told me she wanted me to go back to doing what I was born to do, and she wanted me to pursue film and TV with everything that I had, and I promised her I would. I'm going to cry even more now. <laughs> yeah, so she's why I work so hard. Oh, that's so sweet. 
Here, let's go ahead and take a quick break and we will be right back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We took a quick break, and we are still here with the wonderful, talented Ellie Logue. And we are going to talk about a couple of other projects that she's worked on. And the first one I want to talk to you about, Ellie, is one that's sort of related to the previous section, which is better use for the Infinity Gauntlet. Tell us about that. What is that about? And if you're allowed to spoil it for us, what is the better <laughs> use? Or let us know if we should watch the video to find out. Um, whatever you think is best. I can tell you about it, and I would definitely say watch it because it will make you laugh. Um, a good friend of mine happens to play Rogue for X-Men at Universal Studios, and she has been a huge Marvel fan her entire life. And when I ended up working on Guardians and got to embody the role of Gamora, she just was over the moon about it. And after Endgame came and went, she decided she wanted to do a little satire short about the better uses for the Infinity Gauntlet than wiping out half of humanity. So it's a comedy, and she, a variety of different people in the short film, wear the gauntlet, and they do different things with it. Like one person uses it to open jars that are very difficult to open. <laughs> and another one... When she has it on, she's sitting at a park next to a guy she doesn't know, who, of course, is catcalling girls that are walking by. So she gives him a fist bump, but it, like, shoots him 20 feet across the park because she doesn't think it's appropriate that you should catcall women like that. So it's all about different ways that you could use the Infinity Gauntlet versus the way it was actually used to kill everyone. And at the very end of it, I appear in full green paint, Gamora costume and all, and I just basically say thank you for watching our public service announcement. And I throw a little message out there to my dad that there's a better way to use this <laughs> gauntlet than wiping out half of humanity. And this is a public service announcement for from Heroes Against Wiping Out Half of Humanity. And that's mm -hmm. my bit at the end. <laughs> it was super funny and it it came out really well. People really enjoyed it, and it actually ended up airing throughout all of the convention centers and on the DragonCon channel in all of the sponsored hotels at DragonCon here in Atlanta this past year. Nice. Do you know if it's on YouTube, too, to where people can see it, or do you know if it's still on the DragonCon website? It is still on the DragonCon website, and it is on YouTube. Cool, awesome. We will give links for those so people can go watch it and they can find out even better uses than those two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then let I also wanted to ask you real quickly about the NBA 2015 video game. What's it like to work on a video game as being in the video game? <laughs> that was the coolest thing I've... Well, I'll say that was the coolest thing I've ever done until I did something that was even cooler. That was my first exposure to motion capture type work. Um, and that was the coolest and craziest thing I've ever done. I actually was around a few of the NBA players. I'm 5'8". I don't typically feel short. I have never felt so small in all my life. <laughs> These people are so tall. They look tall on TV, but in person, oh my gosh. Like this guy walked by me and no joke, 
his belly button was at my forehead and I was just like, wow, okay, oh. I'm small. Um, but it was super crazy neat. I went into this room. They had little focal points that they had put on my face. There were about 200 cameras set up on this crazy semi-circle tripod that consisted of four rows high and they just wrapped halfway all around me and I just had to do all of these things. Like I had to scream, I had to cheer, I had to jump around, I had to make all of these different facial expressions and then they animated an avatar to everything that I had done. Oh wow. So in the game, oddly enough, I am all over the game. I am a VIP wife that's sitting on the bench right behind the players. I am one of the cheerleaders on the basketball court, and then they changed my hair color and eye color, and I am throughout the crowd of the game. How much does it look like you? Is it like a spitting image of you, or is it just a close resemblance, or do they change what you look like for each persona? The VIP wife really looks like me. My nephew said he has the game, and he's like, no, that really looks like me. <laughs> That's got to be really cool. It is. It's weird. It's weird to see an avatar of yourself. That's definitely strange. But uh, I actually got, right after that job, not too long after that, I got a, all I can say is a government contract where I oh, was wow. doing motion capture work for a virtual reality training simulation. Wow. Um, but I was in the full mocap suit. I was doing full stunts. It was a very long day. It was the most amazing thing I've ever done. I felt like the guy who played Gollum in Lord of the Rings, just doing <laughs> crazy stuff, and that was really awesome. So well, I love motion capture work. <laughs> it's very cool. Let's go ahead and jump back to the film stuff. And Sharknado 3, I love the Sharknado series. And this is a project you worked on as you were working your way up. So this was when you were working background. But I am curious on what your day on Sharknado 3 was, day or days, was like on Sharknado 3. That was the funniest film I think I've ever been a part of that was supposed to be scary. Because <laughs> obviously it's supposed to be scary, but it's supposed to be funny at the same time. They were filming at Universal Studios in Orlando. So I got to be a part of that. And I am part of the scene where it's towards the end of the movie. They've now blown up all the sharks and shark parts are raining down on the beach out of the tornado. So <laughs> I am a bikini girl screaming and running not too far behind Tara Reid after she's had her baby in the movie. Very strange. Um, <laughs> but I am running and screaming as I'm supposedly being pelted by shark parts. That's pretty amazing. I love the Sharknado series, so just the fact that you got to be a part of it. I mean, hats off to you. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was it was really fun. I mean, the whole crew was great. It was really laid back. We were at the theme park. You know, some of the scenes when the tornado first rips through is through the theme park. So there's actually also us getting off of a ride and running from it. But it happens so quickly, you can't really catch me and the group of friends I'm with in the film at that part. But it was it was a lot of fun. The crew was great. The cast was awesome. Mm -hmm. They all kept it really lighthearted. I mean, it's it's sharks in a tornado. How serious? <laughs> um, Which tornadoes just, don't even mess. form over water, so that makes it even more hilarious. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, but one thing I want to ask for before we go ahead and get your social medias and stuff, 
I want to talk to you a little bit about two of the projects that you just got finished on, which is Queer Across America and Beautiful and Bizarre. Yes, those are, I'm really excited about those. It It's an opportunity that I didn't think I would ever have, nor did I expect. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show. Queer Across America is very dear to me. I myself am a lesbian. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Anna. And so much of what is out there for the gay community is not, or what's portrayed, especially in the media, is that, you know, the club scene, or they have very, very specific stereotypes of what they think lesbians look like or how gay men behave, and that, that's not accurate at all. So to have the opportunity to do this show and actually showcase LGBT life, what we do is we are in an RV, there's a group of us. There is a transgender couple, which they are amazing because it's Aubrey and Ace. Aubrey transitioned to a woman. Ace transitioned to a man. They met years later, fell in love, and now they're engaged. Wow. They are stunningly attractive individuals. We have a beautiful gay man who's in the industry. He's a performer, a dancer. He just actually choreographed and backup danced for Montel Jordan. So he, he just choreographed a routine for him and was backup dancing at his show. And he's an amazing, beautiful, light-skinned man. And he's not, he doesn't fit any of the stereotypes. You'd never look at him and go, oh, he's a gay man. He's just a man who loves men, who has a golden heart. And he's awesome. And then we also have Keith Bailey, which is our resident, you know, theatrical gentleman. He is fantastic. He's way into steampunk. So all of his attire reflects that, which I think is wonderful. I just love it. And then myself and my wife are on the show. So this little group of LGBT people, we jump in an RV and we travel all over the country and we show you all of the best and hidden gems of the LGBT community from entertainment, businesses, nonprofit organizations, cruises, places to go, everything beyond the bar. We're not taking you to clubs. Everyone knows there's gay clubs. We're showing you everything that there is to offer beyond that and exposing you to our normal, making it normal for the rest of society, taking yes. away stereotypes, taboo notions, all of that. And so it's, it's half documentary, half reality TV, half educational program, so we're super excited about it. We just wrapped on the pilot in Florida, which was amazing, like blew my mind. And I just, I couldn't be happier to get to be a part of something like that. Everyone we've shared it with has been really excited. I'm, I'm so happy to have this for the next generation of LGBT kids coming out. I wish I would have had a show like that, you know, when I was discovering who I am. But I'm so grateful that I now can offer that to someone else. That is incredible. Like, all of it is just, it's blowing my mind. Because I heard a little bit about it just from the different posts that I've seen that you have put up on Facebook and stuff. But, wow. That, yeah. In today's world, we want to put everything in a box and categorize everything. So there's all these categories for what people expect you to be. And, you know, take me, for example. I started off as a model who then ended up in film and TV and now also does stunt work. I do not fit any quote-unquote gay category I love my long dresses but I'll still climb a tree you know <laughs> I, 
I'm a little mix of everything. So people are very shocked when I tell them I'm gay because they're like, oh, you don't look masculine. And I'm like, well, I'm a woman and I'm comfortable as this. So why would you expect that I needed to look more masculine to be a lesbian? Like there's all kinds. And yeah. so just to be able to show, and my wife is also very feminine. So to be able to show that, because I've noticed a lot for especially females as they're trying to embrace their identity, many believe that they have to shift to being more masculine. And I'm here to tell you, girl, wear your dress in your high heels and kiss another female while you're at it. It's all good. Yeah, be yourself. Be who, be who you were born to be and don't mm -hmm. be ashamed of it. Exactly. Beautiful and Bizarre, which is not a queer show. <laughs> no, no. Well, tell us that a little was, bit about Beautiful and Bizarre. That show I am so excited about because, one, we get to travel. Um, my wife and I are actually the hosts of that show. So it's not a queer show, but the hosts are a married lesbian couple. That's not the point of the show, but that's just a fact about the hosts. Um, we travel the country and showcase Beautiful and Bizarre Airbnbs. And some of the ones we've already found these crazy tree houses that are built 70 feet in the air and it's an entire tree house village that you zip line from tree house to tree house or wow and we have found one of my favorites that i'm so excited to go see is a dome house that's been completely converted to look like a spaceship even when you walk in the front doors they open like the way the doors used to open on the main deck of the starship enterprise and it makes that little sound that's really cool the whole place is piped with either you either hear the music from Star Trek or you hear the music from Star Wars. It's crazy. It's so amazing. Okay, um, that's a little blasphemy there, but it still sounds really cool. You can't cross did. the two. They did, they did, but they at least separate them by room. So oh, okay. Might be a little like this might be the Star Wars room, this is the Star Trek room, but the two repeat throughout the house. And it okay. is. The whole thing lights up from the outside. Even the windows are circular portal windows. So it just, this thing is built up on um, pyres also. Oh, so wow. it just, it looks like it's going to take off. At night, it's glowing. It's, it's so cool. But that's what we do. We show you the strangest and most amazing Airbnbs that are out there. We interview the people that created them, what was their motivation and inspiration to make them. And then while we're in that town, we show you one beautiful and one bizarre thing to do should you wish to travel there. And what are some of the to-dos that have been a little bit bizarre that you've seen or that you have coming up to go see? One of the really, we did two really cool things um, in Florida. We did, that's where we did the spaceship house, but we also did this tree house. That's a three-story tree house. It's a yurt on top. It has multiple decks that you zip line down to. The trunk of the tree is actually an elevator. And the tree trunk opens. Crazy. Well, wow. they're near this town called Casadega in Florida. And this town is an entire town of psychics. Wow. So you, like, it's set up with little cottages everywhere. You can take workshops. They have special weekends. But everyone in this whole town is a medium. So you can't walk anywhere without someone saying, oh, my gosh, your aura, I need to tell you something. Or grabbing your palm and saying, oh, I, such and such spirit guide told me to tell you this. And it's, it's crazy. It's a whole experience in itself. And it's amazing. 
did they purposely no. decide to come together and encamp in the same city or did they just happen to all live there and they did they all decided to come there because apparently there's some lines in the earth that meet and intersect at that location so it's a very powerful spot and so it is the most psychically charged and filled with the most psychics location from what I understand in America and possibly in the world. Like my hair just stood up on my arms the whole time I was there. Like there's this static charge just in the air that you can feel. Wow. And then one I, of the, the beautiful place we went to is a place that most people don't know about in Florida and it's called Devil's Den. And it's an underground cave water system that you can actually, of, of natural spring, and you can go down and you can snorkel or scuba through this entire cave system, but you have to walk pretty far down into the earth, and then all of a sudden it's like beautiful crystal blue water. Wow. And this just cave with those bioluminescent plankton that line the walls. So once you go far enough in, it's like all of a sudden all the stars in the sky just turn on and everything is glowing and you're in this beautiful water and the water is bioluminescent. So as you move, it lights up. It's, it's gorgeous. I've never seen a place like it. I am totally blown away by the last half hour <laughs> of conversation. <laughs> just everything you have to say, everything you've done is just blowing my mind. This is incredible. Well, thank you. But unfortunately, we, we do have to wrap things up. All um, right. Do you want to go ahead and give your social medias where people can follow you and look like your likes and see your photos and stuff? Sure. If you want to follow me personally, it's just Ellie Logue, and that's spelled E-L-I, last name L-O-G-U-E. And then on Instagram, it's Ellie Lilac, like the color. And then for our two shows that we have going right now that I'm super excited about, it's just Queer Across America on Facebook and Instagram and beautiful and bizarre is just beautiful and bizarre for our Instagram page for queer across America. It's queer across America underscore official. Awesome. So people now know how to get a hold of you. We'll be posting all of that on our social medias also. So if you have a chance, check out our Facebook page, check out our Instagram and check out our Twitter. And until next week, when we have our finale three part episode, um, with a very incredible guest. You guys are all going to want to check out this finale episode. It is amazing. But we will see you guys next week. And thank you, Ellie, again for hanging out with us. Thank you for having me, Joe. It's been fantastic. Thank you again to our special guest, Ellie Logue, and a huge thank you to the voiceover talent of Andrea Guerrero as the voice of Myrtle in the Harry Pottery Barn Fomercial. Be sure to check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitters, and look us up on Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. You can also check out another podcast I co-host, The Extra Unordinary, and some other great media content by Moon Possum Productions at moonpossum.com. <laughs>